0: Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of ferocious compassion. Tani Geisler is a certified leadership coach, TEDx women speaker and writer who teaches leaders how to combat their imposter complex and lead with impeccable impact so they can achieve their ultimate goals. Her clients include bestselling authors, engineers, public speakers, entrepreneurs, and rock star motivators. We really got into some stuff today that I know you're going to find to be helpful, golden, and fresh. So enjoy. Good morning, Tanya. I am so delighted that you're here with me today on Ferocious Compassion.
1: It is always a joy to be with you. I'm so delighted and honored to be here. Thank you.
0: You are so welcome. You know, you and I are, we're kind of new, newly engaged in each other's lives.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm quite pleased about that. (laughs) I think my daughter would call us um, new Pallywaggles.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love that. I want to remember that. We're going to get back to that. So... I always like to start my interviews by asking how did compassion show up for you in childhood and what were your earliest
1: compassion influences? So we have touched on this, you and I, before, and I feel like I was born into um, kind of a compassionate situation, I guess, or a, a situation that was rife with compassion. So this is not something I talk about that often, but this is because you know, my newest Pallywaggle. Um and I trust what you're doing here and I think this will serve. Um I have an older sister who's four years older than me and an older older sister who would be eight years older than me, but she passed away. Uh, she died when she was four. And My parents um, were near her, Uh, she drowned. And my mother was quite pregnant with my sister when that happened. So my sister was born into, you know, immense grief, immense grief. Um, And obviously I wasn't around, but I, no, I can imagine, right? Like what that, what that meant. And, and my sister was born looking exactly like the little angel who died. Blonde hair, blue eyed, um, just sweet, 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 sweet. I was born four years later. And at that time, my parents had started to have a falling out with my father's side of the family. Um, so I was born looking nothing. Like, the blonde hair, blue-eyed side of the family. And I believe that I was treated a little bit differently because of that. Um, And so uh, I don't know that my earliest memories were of noticing different, but I know that it was embedded that I felt it. But I also saw a lot of um, smoothing the playing field. Like, I, I really remember attempts for my parents to make sure that we were getting the same access. My sister and I were getting the same access. Um, So that there's a way in which I know that um, I was born feeling this sense of difference And then also having a softness watching my parents try to navigate this. And I can't articulate it significantly better than that. It's just a feeling that I have. And the way the stories that my parents told me when I was, when I was older, where I was, you know, I'm a Libra, as you know, Um, uh, looking to find the balance, always looking to smooth things over. But I think I got that more from my, my folks than anything else. Um, and I also know that there was a lot of, uh, we never know what is actually happening inside of a home kind of conversations that we would have. Um, So being compassionate, not knowing the depth, the depths of other people's grief or struggle or hardship or, or, or uh, was a very early memory of mine.
0: It sounds to me like what your work is now is goes all the way back to when you were a child. Because that is one of your brilliances, is that you are able to center and hold space for what is
1: unseen. Hmm. Thank you, that's a beautiful acknowledgement. Yeah, there is, um, uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. I feel like, um, you know, I, I, it's easy. To for me to to, to (laughs) kind of canonize my parents. Both of my parents have passed. So makes it super easy for me to be able to do that. And I have sort of two mantras from both one from each parent. One is my mom's, you know, very like sort of famously said, don't postpone joy. And I've been using that as a cue card for like a bajillion years because it's just, you know, I had a conversation with a group of friends last night who are not part of my the self-development space. And they were reflecting that back and how how meaningful that is to, you know, what has 2020 shown us? If not, please don't postpone joy. Like, please don't.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I, and, and exactly. And I think that it's almost like everyone has, this is my yoga teacher perspective. Everyone's taken the inhale and then they're holding the inhale until after COVID, after the election, after, after, after. And Pausing joy. So I think I interrupted you. You were saying something about your father. I'm sorry. I just got yeah. so excited.
1: No, no, no. It's, and, and no, I, uh, so my dad's, I mean, we actually, to be honest, we've got for his 70th birthday, we did like a whole Richard Guys with Maxims, and like there were mostly swears, like mostly, like he was a t- very salty dude. Um, but one of my favorite pieces of, from him was it's all relative. And this was something he told me when I was about, you know, like 15 and I had the acne and you know, the, my crush wasn't paying attention to me. And I just, and I just remember sitting at the dining room table and you know, my parents and there was candle, they were having a glass of wine. I was clearly interrupting a date night. And then I realized I poured my heart out and, and I was like, holy shit, who am I talking to here? Like this, this man at 13 brought his family oh, brought his family over from Germany. Like he saw his uncle being shot in front of him. He, they were there when their daughter died around. They were with her. They like all of this incredible grief, and I was like, oh guys, I'm I'm sorry. This is this is this is ridiculous. And my dad just reached over, was like very calloused hands, and just held mine and just said, sweetheart, it is all relative. What you're experiencing right now is the most important thing to you. And that really has informed so much of who I want to be in the world. Um, Oh, I see
0: that. That That is your path because you have this incredible blend of deep and ferocious compassion. So very soft, very tender hearted. And on the other side of that, you have a way of saying to people, don't postpone joy. Mm -hmm. Let's go. And you're not, you don't hold in that space. You're not wallowing. Mm -hmm. You're not really allowing wallowing. And I think that's much needed right now. Thank you. Thank you. That beautiful blend of tenderness, but strength combined. So I want to kind of dig into how your path developed in terms of how did you get to where you are right now teaching what you're teaching? I mean, I, I realize that's probably a massively huge story, but if you can just give us some highlights about how did you then develop into this brilliant maven that you are now?
1: Um, okay. So there's like, you know, lots of different doors that we could go into. So first of all, thank you. This is a, like seriously beautiful acknowledgements I am receiving. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Very welcome.
1: Um, so, you know, I really think that it's very trite to say, but I think I've probably been coaching my whole life. Um, I've been doing the deep listening. I've been, you know, showing up with lots of compassion and empathy and, I, but that's just, that is, it is who, this is the most natural thing I've ever done in my life. Really, really. Um, so this work in particular. So I think I found this path because a friend of mine was in crisis, right? Like, like when you see somebody else who's in crisis, you figure you figure it out on their behalf. And then I was like, oh wait a minute, this is actually something I'm very I'm very skilled at. So a friend was at a you know, career crossroads, and I created something called Board of Your Life. It was very organic, we were, you know. We just did a, a brainstorming session about what we had seen was available to her, when we were really proud of her, what we wanted more of, and it was this really beautiful calling forth experience, but you know, we were drinking White Cosmos at like, and then ended up karaoke at three in the morning, so it was not exactly super strategic, um, but through that experience she discovered coaching. This is back in like 2006, coaching and leadership coaching was not really something people knew about. Um, and then the deeper she got into it, the more, uh, she would reflect that I had this natural propensity. Anyway, um, I did decide, actually try, I did a board of your life session for myself. And as I was creating that people kept reflecting back, you know, the writing, the speaking, the thought leadership, uh, all of the things that I'm now doing, um, very gratefully and Then I found my way into coach training, and uh, speaking became something that I was doing pretty quick off the mark. Um, I was doing a lot of work with uh, youth and sort of employment services, that kind of thing. Anyway, it's irrelevant, but I really uh, rediscovered my love of of, of speaking, which I had been doing in my previous career in advertising. (laughs) That's another part of the story. Um, And 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 you have a
0: really beautiful voice. Oh, thank you. Is that right? It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh.
1: It's, the, it's, it's the tone. It just really resonates well. Lovely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I just enjoy, I enjoy speaking. When, so when I think about, you know, a lot of my, my peak experience moment was actually back in high school on a, on a stage. Um, and then I was invited to do a TEDx talk, you know, sort of a lot was happening between that moment, that moment. Uh, And that, boy, oh boy, that will really force your hand at picking a lane in terms of what really matters to you. You got 20 minutes to come up with what really matters to you. And what I had seen in my work was this through line of the imposter complex. Uh, It didn't seem to matter who who or what or how many books they'd had or how many times they'd been on Today Show. My clients were experiencing this piece and it just really fascinated me. So I did some deep Uh, research into it just on my way through.
0: Okay. So what is the imposter complex?
1: (laughs) So first of all, attribute the teachers always, always, always. It's a Imposter phenomenon was the term coined by clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in 78. So they were researching and they, they were working with a group of academics at Oberlin College and realized that these women, no matter how successful they were, they could not attribute their success to themselves. They would chalk it up to luck, fluke timing, or having managed to deceive people they were thinking into thinking they're smarter, more capable than they actually were, but they're really able to internalize their failures. This all feels really familiar, right? Oh, so, gosh, yes. <laughs> totally, I completely. I know. And so, you know, it, really there are these very six, there's six really specific ways that I have discerned that people will hide out to avoid feeling like the imposter. So through perfectionism and procrastination, diminishment, comparison, people pleasing and leaky boundaries. Um, Clance and IMS had identified four, I think they were, they called it use of charm and diligence. A couple of others. Yeah. but I've, I've, I've added the, the, uh, the comparison, um, and the diminishment, um, those are really big ones. So, you know, really the imposter complex is trying to keep you out of action, doubting your capacity and alone and isolated. And so that's how it goes about that with those behavioral traits. There's 12 really specific lies that I'm happy to share with your folks. Um, and really it's just trying to, you know, it, it tries to have us It doesn't want us to feel othered, so it has us fearful of success or failure, because either way, we are outside of the crowd.
0: So familiar, this feeling of othered being othered, and I know you do a lot about that with your work too, and it's such a relevant theme that we're seeing now in our society and culture, Mm -hmm. and I wonder if you can share with us what are the most common themes that you see when you're working with women showing up? Like what are, what, aside from the enoughness, what other themes are really
1: showing themselves now? So, oh, bless you, bless you, bless you. And, you know, again, there's a bunch of different doors that I can walk through. I think it's really important that we name that the imposter complex, first of all, is, you know, it's, it's something that those of us who have strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence experience. And it does not affect us all in the same way. So with permission, (laughs) I say that the center of the universe is Greg, my husband. (laughs) White, able-bodied, cisgendered, neurotypical dude living in North America. So for every concentric circle... We are othered from Greg. We are going to have an exacerbated sense of the imposter complex. So as my friend Stacy Jordan Shelton says all the time with attribution to her teacher. Oh, I've forgotten. I'll have to get back to you with the name of her teacher. Well, and the, the other thing is
0: <clears throat> all of these uh, extra goodies can be added in the show notes.
1: Don't we love show notes for that <laughs> reason? Um, we might be in a shared space, but we are not having a shared experience. And I just think it's really important because I think in the self-development space, we really like to use the same brush for everybody's experience, which is the whole reason for my podcast, Ready Enough, which is trying to understand when it's the imposter complex and when it's something else, when it might be transphobia, when it might be anxiety, when it might be, you know, racism, like when it might be anything else. Um, so that's Indeed. important to name because I think we can do a lot of bypassing of, of, of people's lived experiences. My job is to really flatten down the structure of the imposter complex, though, and say, okay, when, you know, when we are dealing with the imposter complex, we need to attend to those objectives when it's trying to keep us out of action, doubting our capacity, and alone and isolated. So what I'll say is this year in particular has really dialed down, I feel, a couple of things. Um, I feel like uh, perfectionism is down, give thanks, because uh, who's got time mm-hmm. for perfection? Like, we don't know. We do not know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? We certainly don't know what's going to happen November 4th, um, you know? So it's it, like, who's got time for that? Uh, I feel like boundaries have actually gotten a little uh, firmer, which is wonderful, I feel like people pleasing has, has, you know, been dialed down a little bit too, particularly as we're all navigating different lived experiences with COVID. I've got an extended member of the family who just passed away on the weekend. Um, that's, and I had a COVID scare last week, as you know, um, that's definitely informed, like, <laughs> you know, I'm up for anything, but not now. Um, doesn't, you know, so I just feel like those are places that said I definitely feel folks are diminishing more than usual, um, and I feel like there's even more procrastination um, and, what's that
0: diminishment all
1: about, do you think well i think it's the I think it's the sense of there's a lot of stuff happening in the world, and i'm not sure what my lane is i don 't know i don't want to step out and say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing um, and I shared on my most, well, my most recent podcast it has been on a bit of a hiatus, was a really fantastic resource um, from brilliant writer Deepa Iyer, who was talking about um, different roles inside of social change. Mm -hmm. And I found it really, really helpful to be thinking about, you know, who we are in a time of crisis. And Mm -hmm we sometimes want to be all the things Mm -hmm. and when we want to be all the things and those are not our natural set points, we actually can create some problems. Uh, So knowing what your ideal role is, the best role is for you inside of a context is really helpful. So for me, I tend to when I recognize that my job is continues to be visionary inside of this context. Now that doesn't mean that I'm not a disruptor, when I see mm-hmm. something that needs to be changed, it doesn't mean that I'm not a caregiver, that doesn't mean, you know, but in terms of like who, how I need to show up in, in the world today, you know, as long as I know that visionary is where I'm, where I'm best served, serving, Great. That's very helpful. So I find that if we don't know what that is, then we tend to procrastinate or we definitely tend to diminish because this not enough, not good enough, who am I to X, Y, and Z, quality of the imposter complex can really run the show.
0: Such an important lesson. And I listened to that episode on your Ready Enough podcast and I gleaned that message loud and clear. I think that's a really powerful message right now. I want to ask you, if you can share with us what, what's a simple practice that we can do right now to alleviate suffering in some capacity?
1: So I feel like I've got two different answers for that. Um, one is deeper listening. Um, that's just what def, I don't think that's what I intended to say, but that's what just came up. It is this deeper listening to ourselves, to others. Um, I feel like 2020 has reassigned expectations and I feel like suffering is about unmet expectations of ourselves, of others. And so, rather than leading with, you know, this is what will be happening. Listen for what's here. Listen for what's wanting. Listen to ourselves. Listen to others. Um, better and deeper. And I feel like if we can, and that might be sort of an internal to the external. Probably, you know, I think everything's inside job first, and then out. Uh, But I just like I'm really guided to say I think it's about some some much deeper listening than we've been doing. Yeah.
0: I understand that to be almost listening inside the listening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you take your own refuge in these times? Hmm. Well, you know that I have this sort of framework that I call my brand of joy where yes. I understand really what brings me to a place of joy. And joy for me does not look like, does not necessarily look like ebullience and Prosecco and, you know, um, big and loud and yeah, ebullience. It doesn't always necessarily look like that. For me, it comes down to connection and gratitude and generosity. So those are the places that I pop back to when I'm needing to feel a bit more centered and grounded. And again, you know, I feel like I really want to name that it's not, a you know, Don't postpone joy is what my mom said. Uh, For me, I want to feel joy in my grief. I want to feel joy in my relationships and my negotiations and my business and all of the things that I do. Uh, And I can feel profound amounts of joy inside of very dark spaces. Um, And I don't need to fight that because I can feel generous and connected and... And grateful. And so those are the places that I come back to. And my, I feel like there's a way in which my life is, it's such a practice and habit now that that's how everything is sort of designed around this fundamental aspect of my life. Does that, I mean, you know, my work intimately well, we've done some work together. I praise, I give the deepest thanks for that. But does that make sense to the outside world? Like anybody listening right now? Does that, does that resonate, Jane, or do I need to? Oh,
0: Oh, yes. And I think that the essence of what you're saying is that the deeper listening, because everything right now on the outside is so chaotic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so we have to go within mm-hmm. in order to hear. And yet, I also hear what you're saying is that your personal refuge is, is just your life. Your living life is refuge. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, that's true. You're, you're not compartmentalizing it. You're not saying, oh, I'm going to go over here now and practice yoga and breathing, but that's not really central to this work that I'm doing too. So you've somehow managed to blend your whole life into your work. And yet I get the idea that you're also really good at taking care of yourself. So talk about that a little bit, like, How do you encourage self-care right now or whatever definition? I know everyone's sick of the words self-care. However, we want to define what that is.
1: So I I think of it as, um, and you know, I've got, we've all got lots of great teachers for this. I, you know, love Mara Glatzel's work with this. Uh, Vanessa Mentor's work around with this. I have thought of, and I wish I could attribute the teacher where I got this from, um, but I, I heard in the last couple of years that self-love is what we talk about, but self-care is how we prove it. And you know that I am probably for the, I would say more often than not the people that are coming to my work. Um, <laughs> sidebar over here for a second. I sure. have a model that I call unshakable confidence where we are locked and loaded with integrity which is, I think, really deep listening. And uh, presence and action. And a huge part of so integrity is about being obedient to your vision, showing up authentically, and honoring your word to yourself. So that is the really the integrity piece. Uh, presence is about trusting in your power. We've so we are such a fraught relationship with power. Largely, we can thank patriarchy for that again. Uh, how we are with support. And then holding ourselves with a reverence. And I'm going to tell you that nine times out of 10, the women in particular and that are coming to me in this work are a court low of reverence for self. Ooh. So once I recognize that, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I,
0: I guess I might as well confess. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing that I identified in my work with you was that it, it really, really shook me that, that I could let over 20 years of a seriously devoted career from the core of my being to not be
1: fully felt as reverence inside me. And so what that did for you was created this dissonance of integrity, right? It's like, here is this, this is so deeply important to me that the folks go within and... And, and, and I'm not doing it myself. Oh my goodness. Um, and sure, we can give ourselves lots of grace because the cobbler's son wears no shoes or whatever it is. It does not change the fact that we have been given this one glorious life. And um, it's our job, it's our duty to live the shit out of it. And uh, just celebrate and, and, and bask and the radiance and, and glow of our own capacity. Isn't so
0: absolutely true. I yeah. think about that because I'm on the eve of my birthday tomorrow. And I think it, it just for me, I do have a comic edge to a lot of my thought process. And I can't help but thinking it's just sort of like quit screwing around here. That's the, that's one way I can name it is just it's time is indeed short. And we always think we have so much of it. And I don't say that in a way to make people feel guilty or shameful. It's just, it's, it's if you really, really do what you're suggesting, which is deep listening. We don't have a lot of time. No, ma'am. So I ask you on that level of time,
1: <laughs>
0: what is most important to you
1: right now? So... You're getting these in the mail. These are my cue cards that I had written a long time ago. My poll for today was, it's too late is just another stall tactic. Get going. There's still time. That one is so good. Yeah. 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 Because here's the imposter complex. It is all or nothing. It's either there's not enough time or there's so it is like there's the scarcity, but also this kind of this procrastination, right? This is this, this is the the tension we will procrastinate thinking that we've got all the time in the world, or that we have not nearly enough. So don't, 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 don't bother anyway. Right? It's too late. So Like today, right now, decide, do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. You literally do not know. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Don't you you think there's
0: also, there's a little bit of a conflict, I think, with, and I see this even in myself as a teacher of inwardness. (laughs) There's a little bit of a conflict between the relevance of going within and the messages that we're getting in the wellness movement that are saying, but only do that at a really snail's pace and only. And so, but there's also got to be some fire
1: in there too. Nailed it. Nailed it. Right. So I think about, so I actually think about devotion as devotion and reverence have sort of like, they kind of snuggle up a little bit. And I think about really devotion being where compassion and discipline meet. So Mm -hmm. because trust me when I tell you I can be deeply compassionate with myself, which will let me get off the hook a lot, like (laughs) a lot.
0: I know that. I know that that's what happens energetically when we get in that uber compassionate place Sometimes
1: it just flattens out. Right. And I also know what happens when I'm in the like hyper-discipline knuckle bear down, like that's not it. Mm-mm. So for me, it's this, I mean, I, really, I feel like devotion's your word for what I would call reverence, where it's this like, I got, like, I got gifts to share. Yeah. I got gifts yeah. to share because gen- generosity is so deeply important to me. I got all this stuff. That's how I connect. So I best get out of my own way so that I can do those things but I got to do those things so finding that space between you know compassion and discipline um, for me is is really Mm. that's where the honey's at this honey this
0: sounds like something that we're going to need to talk about some more at another at another time
1: maybe in the new year
0: yeah, I'm always I think, I think we're going to have to explore this this theme again because there's a lot more behind that, and I know that you and I could we could sit here all day and just <laughs> talk about all the things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I want to thank you with all of my heart for being here with me today. This was just
1: absolutely lovely. You know what people say with all of their heart, like with you, it's it's the real deal. It's a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. Thank you for seeing that.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you for seeing that. And thank you for being in this world and doing what you do. You are loved. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. It really means a lot to me that you're here. And I hope you're doing okay during these times that we live in. I hope these podcasts are helping you. I'm really learning a lot about myself and the world that I live in by recording these podcasts. And it's been a really interesting journey. So anytime you want to leave me a note, write to me, give me any feedback. I'm completely open to that. In fact, I really appreciate it. So feel welcome to write me at jane at radiantjane.com leave notes leave us a review share this with someone that you think could benefit right now really appreciate all that so much take good care we'll see you next time